Hello, everyone. This is JVL here with my best friends, Sarah Longwell and Timothy Miller of The Bulwark. Uh, welcome to the next level. Hit all of the buttons. Subscribe, like us, do the following, leave the five stars, whatever love platform us, you're consuming really. the show on. We need the validation. We need the reinforcement. <laughs> yeah, love me. Love Some of us me. need it more than others. And, yeah. uh, and, and also, go to thebulwark.com. Uh, go over to where we give away all the good stuff. You can sign up for Charlie Sykes's outstanding newsletter, Morning Shots. You can listen to some of our other great podcasts. You can even get a newsletter from me, which you don't have to read. Many of the people on this show don't read it. I it's, always uh, read it's your really, newsletter. <laughs> it's, it's really like not recommended reading so much as suggested reading so or alternate reading. Okay. Sarah, you were on the news this week like a real professional writer and how not about that? a how about, professional how about, other person who happens to write in her spare time. <laughs> I sent him a Nikki Haley piece last week, Tim. I would just like you to know that. As we say in the business. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and I also, got asked about it on television. I'm getting, I'm getting interviewed you about say? your material. It's now. sort of like when people asked me to sign your book at the last event. Did you say, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't read that. Um, no, I did not say, sorry. I didn't read that. I didn't. Uh, it was, it was more, just ask me to comment on Nikki Haley, then really to like grade you in your uh, article. Oh, they didn't ask you how great was Sarah Longwell's piece? They didn't say that. They just read a little bit blurb from it and asked me to kind of react. All right. guess, Tim, how great was Sarah's piece? I concurred. I concurred. I concurred. It's, uh, I think that it was uh, very insightful and prescient. And now JBL wrote a newsletter about your piece. And now I'm trying to remember, I don't want to do something really embarrassing and compliment a line from JBL's <laughs> piece about your piece rather oh, than complimenting worst, your piece. But go ahead, say which line, just say the line. I just think that about there not being the mag. Oh, that's it. The 80%, that's you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I knew it was as soon as, as soon as it came out to me, but it was essentially, you know, riffing on the, the central point that you had, you know, which is that they're just, isn't anywhere to go for Nikki in this in this primary, and and I think that that is what there's just a class of people, and in, in the in the commentariat, and, and particularly in the conservative Republican commentariat, as well as you know people who are just super interested in politics, um, who are Republican that like just can't get in their head what has changed, you know, and why like it couldn't be Nikki. And and um, that's frustrating. And I, I, I liked that your piece and JVL's riff on your piece, um, you know, both I think explained quite clearly, like the fact that, you know, it's not really even it's not about judge a normative judgment on Nikki as a governor. It's not really, you know, it's not about her performance, her skills as a politician. Like, it's just about the fact that like the makeup of the party is now a MAGA party and the winner of this primary is going to have to cross some threshold level of MAGA with which she doesn't cross. Right. And that doesn't mean that these people hate her. It doesn't mean that, you know, that they can't be in coalition with one another, you know, but it's just, she is not going to be, going to be the standard bearer for this party. It's it's the same way. There, there are a lot of examples of this, right? It was like, it was like up until like recently, you know, some socialist wasn't going to win a Democratic primary, right? Is why nobody, you know, because like they were, Bernie was in coalition with the Democratic Party, but like, you know, people had a general positive feelings about Bernie, but like that's not what the party was. Now, maybe over time that that'll change, but I think that's the parallel here. And and Nikki, it's a bet of her own making, really, though I'm not sure that she could have done any different as an Indian American, like neoconservative globalist. Um, like but but her, you know, kind of unwillingness to go whole hog with MAGA prevents her like uh, from really having an opportunity here. And and so I think then you know, the question is, does she know that? And is she playing for VP? You know, is that is she, does she live in this Karl Rove world of unreality where all these voters are just going to snap back to normal and really want low taxes and American strength abroad? You know, or is she, you know, just being trying figuring that like her best path towards a VP nomination is to run and that you never know. You never know. Who knows? Maybe Ron DeSantis you know, falls off a bridge and Donald Trump has a heart attack and I'm the only one left standing? Or or does she really think that these people might come back to her? And I don't, I'm not really sure the answer to that part. Sarah, I'm going to prompt you here to disarm a criticism which I've already seen of us, which is that you are not rooting for Nikki Haley to fail. You are simply analyzing the reality. 
Wait, what uh, is the criticism though? That we we are we want her to fail? Yeah, we're well, we're we're saying she's toast because we want right. I I believe all three of us agree that in a world where Nikki Haley could win the Republican presidential nomination, we would love to live in that world. That would be a a good world. That's a that's a good timeline. Correct. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. Agreed. Uh, can I, I want to say a few things about Nikki Haley that weren't in the piece that are sort of new observations as I've thought more. And so can I just take the first, I'll take the first thing uh, as the scenario Tim played out. Is she playing for third? Is she playing for VP? Because I think this is a very interesting question. And let me tell you, I think if you really think hard about Nikki Haley and how this could go, right? One of the things I talked about in the piece is how she's the top of the tier of the meh middle, right? The lame reruns of people, the Pences, the Pompeos, Pompeo, Chris Christie, Cruz. you know, whatever. She's at the top of that tier. And so I could actually see her running uh, where DeSantis and Trump are kind of going head to head. This is, not, I'm not saying this is definitely the scenario, but I could see this scenario playing out where Trump actually, he's attacking DeSantis relentlessly, but he's helping Nikki, right? He's, he's being kind of nice to Nikki. You know why? Because she's taking vote share from DeSantis. And so, uh, you know, she, she's eating into him. She's getting, as, as Tim calls it, a gentle womanly 10, 12% maybe, especially in New Hampshire, especially in New Hampshire, um, right? So we've got the Iowa caucuses and let's say DeSantis and Trump are both in the low 30s, high 20s. She's th coming in third with, with double digits, low double digits somewhere. John Edwards territory. John Edwards territory. Here's her play, right? The next state up is South Carolina, her home state where she was a two-term governor. Now, I don't think she wins her state in this scenario, but why doesn't Trump or DeSantis, they need her 10% and they're going into her home turf, isn't, and there's two weeks, there's two long weeks between New Hampshire and South Carolina. Why isn't at that point somebody cutting a deal with Nikki Haley for VP? And I saw, I was floating this scenario in the bulwark slack and I think it was Amanda was saying like, I don't know what, what does Nikki Haley get you? But I guess... It hasn't been going on long enough for me to say that it's a trend, but it used to be when the populists were the uh, recessive gene of the party, as Charlie puts it, that you gave them the recessive job. You gave the VP to Sarah Palin and the normie, serious person, John McCain, was on the top. Well, that could be reversed now, where your establishment candidate, your Mike Pence, is now, that's a VP slot, because you're the junior player on this team now, right? We're in control, MAGA's in control. And so why isn't she that establishment VP. I can answer that. And I think that she's thinking like this. I, I don't know this. I know this is not reporting. Um, but I, I sense that she's thinking like Sarah is thinking right now with maybe a little bit of additional dollop of wish casting that maybe, you know, things can turn up Nikki for the top of the ticket. But I, I think that this is a key part of the strategy. Here's why I'm not sure that that works. Number one is I think that she only helps Trump and I don't think Trump will pick her. Right. If you're in that two weeks with DeSantis, that is a risky move, actually, to add Nikki to the ticket right before South Carolina. That could end up signaling to the MAGA voters that he's a he's a Yale rhino phony cuck and that and 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 actually help Trump. I, I know that that like this is where people's brains are broken. Like the notion that a, a Nikki endorsement might hurt somebody in South Carolina, it might. I, I mean, Nikki did endorse Marco last time, and it didn't help him that much. And DeSantis is going to be in this very fragile position, right, where he wants to be more electable, but he can't be seen as a phony, inauthentic MAGA. So I don't know that she helps him. So would she definitely help Trump, right, because Trump is MAGA, and so he doesn't have to worry about that authenticity question, and, and what he needs is help with the electability question. But is Trump really going to pick her after he went through with Pence? Find that hard to believe. Would she want to be Trump's VP? Who the fuck knows? I guess so. I, that's insane to me, but I guess she would. Then the other element to this, just as you game this out, is let's just look at the recent past. Kamala almost lost VP over her one mean thing to Biden. Had Kamala stayed around longer, she probably wouldn't have gotten VP, right? Had she done a couple more debates where she was going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Biden, she probably wouldn't have gotten VP. Pence was from off the, ta off the table, right? Um, you mentioned Palin. Palin was not, like, you know, McCain did not pick Mitt Romney or, or, Tim, or Tim Pawlenty. Obama did pick Biden, but Biden, like, didn't even really count. He's at the 1%. You know, like, that. he didn't pick... 
Like there's a you know he didn't pick Hillary, right? Like there's there's very few examples looking back of like the 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 winner choosing the person that was like a real thorn in their side. Carrie Edwards, I Reagan guess. Reagan and Bush. Reagan and Bush. Carrie Edwards, Reagan Bush. Maybe I'm forgetting one, but those are the two that come straight to mind. So that's it's not impossible, but it's a lot harder of a you know you got to walk this tightrope, right? Where you're competitive enough. To, you know, seem viable and seem like you're additive, but you're not so competitive that like the feelings are hurt and they can't pet. You know what I mean? So I just think that for those two reasons, the fact that she might hurt DeSantis in some ways and that it's a tough thing. I think that she's thinking that I agree with that, but I, I do think that's a pretty challenge. I, I wouldn't put my, any money on it. I guess what I'm saying. Also from, from Trump's perspective, having seen what happens when you have a normie vice president, and you need him to do a coup for you, and he refuses to do it. I cannot believe that Trump would pick another normie, right? I, I have to believe that if, if Trump were to be the nominee, he will get somebody who he views as a pure loyalist, uh, a button man, like a Carrie Lake or an MTG or somebody like that. Maybe this is incorrect. I think that makes sense in like a global way. I think the question is, is like sometimes you can make weird decisions if you're locked in a dead heat Trump versus DeSantis, you're going into Nikki Haley's sure. state and you're thinking, what gives me the advantage to pop out into? Because the thing about the, this is why I'm going to keep harping on the calendar. The calendar is going to cause weird dynamics where you're popping out. South Carolina and Nevada are on the same day. They're on the same day. And if you recall, Trump was living in the 30s in these states and then like popped in Nevada and then ro rolled with that momentum into uh, the March 5th, Super Tuesday, this is assuming the calendar stays the same, where, like, you can lock up so many delegates on that day. So yeah. that momentum popping out of the South Carolina, Nevada is, like, so important. And I guess that's where I see so they far. could do some weird things. Like, I understand your points are all correct, I think. I just could see, like, in that two weeks, suddenly people being like, I don't know, man. I We got to lock this up. We got to put distance. We got to do something that – And but Tim's point about, like, whether or not she's a liability, I think that's a – I think that's possible. In some ways, I think we maybe shouldn't overinterpret, though, the MAGA-ness of a lot of this audience. Like, there's a really deep MAGA strain. It's a dominant one, but there's like plenty of establishment MAGA, normie MAGA, soft MAGA, soft MAGA. maybe yeah. MAGA, <laughs> that I think can can shift things. I think that this pitch is a real one for Tim Scott. By yeah. The way. Yeah. So South Carolina is two weeks different. You know, he brings diversity to the ticket. He is not really MAGA, but like hasn't done anything to poke MAGA in the eye in the way Nikki has. And that does fit the bill more of a Obama, Biden. Gore Lieberman is another one we, we picked, but Lieberman was kind of a second tier candidate, right? Like of choosing a second, you know, someone that wasn't a real contender. I think Kamala really fits this bill, right? She dropped out before any votes, right? So like a Tim Scott, I think. And that's the same two-week South Carolina. Now, does Tim Scott actually bring you anything in South Carolina? Mm, a couple good news cycles. You know, I, I don't know. I, I, but did your point about how people's brains start to get wired and they're like, man, things are really close. I got two weeks. If, even if he brings me 2% in a couple news cycles, it's worth it. So I, I, see, I think that your gamesmanship there, Sarah, makes a lot of sense for Scott as VP. Can I just ask you guys to imagine what the world will look like and the level of establishment Republican freakout if we hit that moment two weeks out from South Carolina and the race is actually pretty close, Trump DeSantis, like the level of unbelievable hair on fire panic in conservatism, Inc. and among the anti-antis and stuff. And for me, <laughs> I will also yeah. be panicking yes. in that scenario. That's a terrible scenario <laughs> because it, it puts me in a position yeah. where I will suddenly be like, I'm sorry, everybody. You have to line up with DeSantis. Like, because I just, we've never done this, but it's just speaking of like freestyle scenarios. Just walk down the path with me of a Trump second term. Schedule do we have like, to? The idea of a Trump second term, when people do the, who's more dangerous, Trump or DeSantis, they're just like thinking about them as like these two guys that both have these issues. I'm talking about Donald Trump, who did a coup, getting a second term. And like, what happens to the press in that scenario? Like Donald Trump is a in, a in in excuse my language, just bleep this if there's kids in the car, but he is in fuck all territory, and he is like, he is like I would like Don Jr. is going to make a tremendous Secretary of State, and you media are canceled. You're not the enemy of the people. You're just gone. Like I, I and you might be like, well, how does he do that? Like just a Trump second term is like 
to me, the scariest thing I could possibly imagine. Concur. I don't need to go further down that path right now. I'm going to spend more time thinking about it later. But yes, absolutely concur. Wait, can I just, I just, one thing I wanted to do before, I didn't want to forget this. So we did a focus group and these are just two time Trump voters. Just no other screen. They voted for Trump 16, they voted for him 20. Here's what some of them said about Nikki Haley. She's just going to be a return to what everything was before 2016. You know, status quo politician, basically. Isn't that good? Wait, I'm sorry. Is that an endorsement or a criticism? Sorry, no, that's a criticism from that it's person. Uh, endorsement. Critique. If that was Sarah instead of Brett, uh, okay. that's an endorsement. But it's Brett, and Brett <laughs> thinks that's a bad thing. Check out the big brain on Brett. <laughs> and then David said, I think she'd just be, you know, Republicans that we've seen in the past. I think she'd just be Ooh. more of the same cookie-cutter like conservative views. So here's and here's the thing. I just she go back I, I, to talking about freedom and free markets and economic <laughs> expansion and American strength in the world. We don't want that. I'm sorry, Sarah. Did either of these gentlemen speak with a foghorn leghorn accent? No, they didn't. JVO. Was there any pro? Was there any pro Nikki in the two? Not really. Two, uh, Not really. Read any quotes? Not really. Yeah. But to Tim's point, and this was in the poll that we did. They don't dislike Nikki Haley. They are not saying those things with derision. They're just saying them as a like why right. they're not that into them. That's not, That's my, person. not my person. And and what's crazy about Nikki Haley, like the great irony of Nikki Haley is that she's got all these components that would make her be a future candidate. She's a woman, she's a minority, she's got this foreign policy experience. Like this should be the fresh new thing. But actually to them, she's a throwback. Right. She's an old style politician. She's not something new. And this is where I just want to stomp on something that Tim said. These Republicans, Sununu and Hogan and Haley, God love them. They have the same problem that I did, which is they spend all their time at AEI, at the Heritage Foundation, around donors and around the elite conservative class, the Wall Street Journal editorial page writers. And they think the Republican Party is something different than it is. They think voters want something different than they do, and they tell themselves yes. a fantasy tale about how you can get back to that. But I'll tell you what, the mountain ain't coming to Muhammad on this one. Like, you are either going MAGA <laughs> or they're not interested in you. The group is even bigger than that. You know, sometimes we like to tease, you know, our AI pals and all this and, and make it about that. But I was just looking at some numbers yesterday, and I, I kind of didn't realize this. In the midterms, college-educated whites only went for the Dems by like three or four points nationally, right? So like there is like in all of the major metros all across America, college-educated white people who live in the suburbs who are 40-plus that voted for Republicans. They voted for Trump. Yeah, they voted for Trump in the midterms. midterms. They voted for for Herschel Walker or whatever. And they, if they had their druthers, they would have rather had Brian Kemp than Herschel Walker. They would rather have Nikki Haley, right? So it feels like it's Mm -hmm. a lot of people. You know what I mean? It feels like it's more people than it is, right? Because it is, you know, 15% of a hundred million is 15 million people and they all live in the same major metros and they're all, you know what I mean? Like, so I do think that that leads a little bit to this disillusion. If you don't mind, I'd like to do one a little bit of figure skating judging on the Nikki announcement. That video that she dropped, boy. You weren't a fan? Uh, and I was texting with one of my buddies that still does Republican videos to make sure I'm not, I wasn't TDSing on this. It didn't have a story or a message. It spoke to her fundamental problem, right? She wanted to do this video that, to Sarah's point, should have been a, uh, she's running in 2015. She'd been a great candidate for 2015. I think maybe 2011, sure. but <laughs> we can nitpick that. But but that video in 2011 would have been, hey, I was from Bamberg. I saw racism firsthand, but I also saw the goodness of America. We overcame it. When I was governor, I brought down the Confederate flag. You know, USA, we can all come together. You know, a little bit of Obama, maybe. There are no blue states or red states. We're not divided by white and black. Right, okay. You could do that video and tell a good story that's her story, that is authentic to her story up until 2017, right? And that is a video that that would speak to a certain group of people. It's not a winning video in the Republican primary for all the reasons we've discussed, right? Or you can do a, I'm a MAGA culture warrior. The woke left is out to get us, blah, blah, blah. What DeSantis will do. She tried to do both in the same video. <laughs> like, it made no sense. Like, literally her first, the first sentence of the video is, my town, Bamberg, was divided by a railroad. And the railroad divided the town by race. 
And then like seven seconds into the video, it's like, and then there are some people that want to say America is fundamentally flawed with structural racism and shows a picture of someone <laughs> holding a sign that says racism is a pandemic. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like the video started by you talking about structural, like literal structural <laughs> racism. Like the structure of your town was divided by race. Then five seconds later, attack the 1619 project, right? And then later in the video, the same thing happens where she like makes fun of the woke left. But then she doesn't mention that taking down the Confederate flag, but she does mention the uh, AME church, right? And how she went to the AME church. But it's like... Again, you're talking about how the left is talking about how racism is a real problem. And then, oh, here I am uh, going to this black church that got shot up by a white supremacist. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, the video had no narrative structure. And the, the choices that they made, like choosing this, the signs, it's like speaking to this tiny, tiny, tiny group of people for whom, like, I'm mad at the 1619 Project, but I don't want to be too racist, right? That's like 4% of the Republican electorate that's like, that is there. And, and so just, just stylistically and narrative, she just doesn't have one. That's because Nikki Haley doesn't know who she is. And the, what's a bummer is that I bet she did used to, like, I, she knew who she was right. in the Republican Party where you could look to the future. I, I sort of felt like this. Where you're like, well, you know, living in government and free markets and American leadership in the world are really important. Those are values that are important to me. But I also, I have this future in mind for the Republican Party where like it's much more socially tolerant. And like I, I can be a voice in that new movement. It's going to be younger, fresher, whatever. Then the party zagged, right? And so now she's got to make a pitch where she's talking about socialism and being dark. She wants to make an optimistic pitch for the country. But she doesn't know how to do it without hitting the buzzwords that drive the anger and the wedge issues. And as a result, she comes off as inauthentic and she doesn't know how to do it quite well. And that's why you get a messy narrative because her own sense of things is messy. She doesn't really know what direction she wants to go. I would suggest to you that it's not really a Nikki Haley problem. It's a Republican Party problem. I, I think she knows who she is. The problem is that who she is used to be a cutting edge reform Republican. And now she's a conservative Democrat. I mean, just like she's just much closer to Joe Biden than she is to Donald Trump in her view of America and her view for the future. Foreign policy. Foreign Certainly policy, on foreign policy, right? And uh, probably on race. Probably on race. And probably on like infrastructure and economics and in terms of like trade, right? She's probably much closer where Biden is on trade. I think she's not where Biden or Trump. Biden and Trump are protectionists on trade. And Nikki Haley's... A globalist. <laughs> Nikki Haley's a globalist. That's the yeah. fundamental issue. She is a globalist. If you could like shake the Etch-A-Sketch and let her start from scratch in terms of her party ID right now, I think she'd be more in step as a running as a uh, Southern Democrat, right? You know, why why not be a conservative Democrat in South I Carolina? I think that. she'd be pretty successful. She was a Tea Party Republican. I don't think it's quite that. I just I think that the reality is that she's an out of step Republican. That's what she is. Yeah, and Nikki Haley wants to live in a world where like she can talk about the debt all day long, and people are responsive to that, and like we should be spending less, and we should be supporting. Ukrainians against the Russian advancement. She's giving big speeches about that that are Reagan-esque in there. You know, we're going to fight communism and whatever. And and that, that's who she wants to be. And she just can't be that person and get elected right. or be viable or even taken seriously in a Republican primary. And so she just sounds like a weird... And can I actually, I'm just going to add one thing to this. Like, there's also this weird mega pop feminism thing where like she's she knows she's got to say she's tough and she's a fighter. So it's Heels. like, it hurts... When I when I see you know I kick back and it hurts worse when they're in heels and I'm like Ugh. like what what is that and I does it it would if you were I mean if you kicked hard <laughs> I, uh, I know you don't deal that much with women but like the I, bottom of a stiletto heel I don't. you can take you know, your drag queens I, <laughs> I guess I'm just saying I don't, I'm trying to imagine myself getting kicked by Nikki Haley. Yeah. Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. I don't think any of them are going to hurt that much. I don't, think, I don't think any of them pack much of a punch with their kick. So you talk about like the dissonance of her pitch, Tim. So she specifically frames that as like, you know, she likes to kick bullies. And whatever you think of Donald Trump, like whether you're pro or con, like he is a bully. And if you are a Trumper, that's why you like him. That's good. Because he goes and bullies yeah, the people right. you hate for you, right? He's he's in the weirdness of her having been in his administration and 
tried, I guess, at the very end to stand up to him, but then reversing course. Again, like it just seems like a formulation in her video that was practically designed to highlight her weakness instead of her strength, right? Because, you're, you know, you want to talk about fighting generically, fine. But why insist that she's good at fighting bullies when she didn't? Breaking news, Nikki Haley is now calling for mandatory mental con competency tests for politicians over 75. 75, that's an interesting bright line she's chosen. That's an interesting <laughs> age. Is that for real or is that an onion? No, it's for real. And you know what? So let's see. So Biden would be 82. He's for it. He's be 78. Binder, right. What was what was his formulation yeah. on that? Do you remember? Yeah, it was man, camera. woman, camera, TV. Oh, that's not it. I anyway, lost it. that's great. That's really great. OK. Do we want to talk a little bit about Elon and Twitter this week? Have you guys been enjoying getting all of Elon Musk's tweets in your feed? No, I don't see him that much. And I also don't do the one that the for you thing. So you you weren't getting them on Monday because this is so Casey Newton's platformer broke an amazing story, which is that on the night of the Super Bowl, Elon Musk got incredibly upset because Joe Biden's tweet about the Philadelphia Eagles got more engagement than his tweet about the Philadelphia Eagles. Mm. And so he threw Twitter into crisis mode and like started rousting engineers out of bed at 2.30 in the morning because for like 48 hours, the most important thing was why isn't Elon Musk's tweet tweets getting more engagement? And at first they tried to explain to him why this might be. And he did not like any of those explanations. He, he simply said they, they should get more engagement. And so they went and just created a formula for him to give him a boost times a thousand would this had a practical effect of meaning that the algorithm would show basically everybody on Twitter Elon's tweets. Hmm. Thoughts? I mean, you know, you spent forty-four billion. <laughs> well, a lot of it is uh, other people's money, but you know, and he put in a few billion of his own. And uh, you know, I think that's a, it's a true poster. You know, that's so committed to posting. This is the one area, the one thing that me and Elon can relate to. I'm a poster. I want to post. I want people to see my takes. I'm unrepentant about it. And as a poster, I can understand that you'd want to spend a significant portion of your net worth <laughs> ensuring that everyone sees your post. I don't know how good of a business practice it is. He's supposed to be a genius businessman. It doesn't seem to me that he's maximizing the performance of the website for the user. You know, for the advertiser, that would seem to be your main goal as, as an owner, um, that you would want people to want to come to the site. I don't think that a lot of people want to see his posts. Some of his posts are bad. Uh, he did one of the memes that he forced people that to, he was, I guess, meta commenting on himself, and he posted this gross. I did see this. It was gross I did for me. I guess. Vaguely porny. Vaguely right? porny? I mean, am I wrong that that was a, a vaguely porny kind of meme extremely porny i don't I and also like young porny too like a febophilia porny as our q friends would say yeah is it are they, were they 15 or 24 it's like kind of hard for me to tell now now that i've i'm a dad but but young women like one feeding the other one milk forcing her to drink milk because she's got milk? her hair she's like pulling her hair it's gross yeah holding her ponytail it's porny and young a febophilia is right and so these are the people that are deeply concerned, I guess, about the sexualization of children. I'm pretty sure that, that Twitter is not an 18-plus website. It is one of their concerns. And also about the algorithm never putting its thumb on anything. Because right. the worst thing in the world was when the bad Twitter would de-emphasize some tweets and emphasize others. Oh, right. Shadow banning. <laughs> shadow pushing. So anyway, ooh, the big shadow banning crisis. This is a First Amendment crisis. Let's call in the Supreme Court. The marshal of the Supreme Court might need to go meet with with Elon. So, I mean, it's really pathetic and sad. And, and you know, for me as a Twitter fanatic, the quality of the site is is deteriorating substantially. But I'm also getting I do have like a masochistic enjoyment of like the Casey Newton platformer stories of like of the sad. I, you know what I watched last night with Toulouse was uh, Puss in Boots. Have you seen Puss in Boots? The new yet? one, right? The Last Wish. Yeah, Little yeah. Jack Horner. Little Jack Horner, who puts his thumb and and pulls out a plum, gets upset that he doesn't have any like cool 
magic like all of the other fairy tales and so he becomes big jack horner who was like just a grown an adult baby who's like really mad and <laughs> wants everything to go his way big jack horner and there is like a little bit of a big jack horner element to elon's you know kind of like a child that want that wants all the toys to work for him sarah do you have any any thoughts would you like to throw down a shaquille o'neal style dunk on this well, I just think in terms of it, we are an interesting group because JBL basically has always has hated Twitter for as long as I've known him, doesn't mm-hmm. really participate. I was new to Twitter in 2018 and became somebody who really liked Twitter. I really like Twitter, but I'm not a huge poster. I would post a fair amount, I guess, but like, no, I can't. I can't anywhere come anywhere close to Tim levels of posting. I've actually done two posts since you've been talking right now. Right. Like the extent to which <laughs> Tim Miller thinks people need to hear every thought rolling around in his head is just unbelievable to me. And I like, I don't, I, 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 I would like people to know when I, th- when I feel strongly about something, I'm going to tweet it. Uh, but I like can't come up with that level of takes and like that volume. But the experience of Twitter is awful now i think somebody that i even kind of like like the kid dreyfus ben dreyfus, at some po- ben dreyfus, ben dreyfus said yeah. something at one point like it's time for everybody to admit that twitter is not different you know like the, the, nothing's really changed everything is fine and stop freaking out about twitter and i guess there might have been a period earlier on where that was kind of true but like it's just garbage now just like from a usability experience having two different feeds is terrible the algorithms the people they feed me are awful the, i don't see the people i like to see and so it's a it's a bad experience and um there is but there is something about uh Elon and it just in general this sort of that category of person where they're like I drink liberal tears and and you guys are snowflakes and you're babies and you're so sensitive. And then you watch them like live like Elon's profligacy on Twitter has what it has done is demystified Elon to the point where like the the genius pot smoking. But I'm going to take you to space guy is now like shit post memer because that's not the first porny one I've seen from him. And I don't even see that much. But he did that one where it was trying to get Trump back on Twitter and it was like a girl yeah. Like bending over a bed and like Jesus was supposed to be Trump or Jesus Getting railed by a priest or something. Right. It, Is that, don't, yeah. Something but, like but, that. But, but, but it was gross. It was gross. And he's a gross infantile person. And I won't read platform. I like don't care enough to go read about Elon. But when you communicate the schadenfreude to me, I enjoy it. I just wish the consequence wasn't that. This platform is actually quite good for sharing news and engaging about news, even as sewage and garbagey as it was, you know, it's still pretty good. And I miss it. I actively miss decent Twitter. Elon's browser history must be a house of horrors. Uh, I don't even 100% wanna... chance there's a lot of tentacle stuff in there. Oh, yeah. 8chan. I don't know what that means. Scat. You don't, Sarah, don't look thing. it up. I, you don't, don't need look it, it up. To. Just don't even do it. The, I won't. Elon's, Elon's Google history is terrible. I will say this. Um. The one nice thing that it's done for us is the Bulwark uh, Substack comment community is so vibrant now. Here's an inline plug for joining Bulwark Plus. Like several people commented in a recent one about how like I've substituted this for Twitter. And, um, you know, our little Bulwark Reddit is doing better. So we're trying to find, I think, alternate places to fill the discussion part of, of Twitter, which is nice. But like the incoming immediacy news live react element is hard to replace all right balloon talk balloon talk we have a a crisis in america that has been brought on by joe biden's weakness the chinese are just sending balloons all over the country and these balloons are destroying the lives of good hard-working americans in blue-collar states and it's it's awful sarah what are the people saying in your focus group? Has this ever come up? Well, we asked. We did a group last week. It's a great episode we did out of it with Peter Baker on the Focus Group podcast. Go check it out. They were Trump to Biden voters. So Trump 16, Biden 2020 voters. And we were just asking them a bunch of different stuff. They'd all watch the State of the Union. And then we just like quickly at the end, we're like, so the balloon, uh, what do you think? And I would say there were two camps of balloon people. There were people who were mad about the balloon that they said it made us look weak, that we hadn't shot it down, that mm. Biden hadn't done anything about it. They were super concerned. And then there was the other half that was like, I don't know if we know enough about the balloon to like have an opinion. And those are the people you should listen to, the ones who know that we don't yet know enough to have an opinion. But half the group was like, can't believe they didn't shoot it down right away. 
Did anybody say aliens? Nobody said aliens. Okay. My balloon thing, so I guess a mild critique of the Biden administration is I do feel like we could have a little more communication about these like secondary and tertiary things that we've shot down. I don't know. Like we're firing $400,000 missiles at like something in the sky over Lake Huron. And then it just seems like the type of thing that like the president should be like, hey, we shot down this thing. It was another spy balloon or it was somebody's drone that was illegally flying above Lake Huron. And, you know, I would like a little communication. That said, on the original balloon, I have to laugh about like all the hard on hard boy talk from Marco and all these guys and Tom Cotton and all these guys posing with his gun. Like, oh, I could take out dead balloon yeah. from here. Yeah. We, oh, Biden, we should have shot that fucker down. And we've all relitigated all the how oh, this happened during Trump and nobody ever did it. But the most hilarious part of this to me was the other day, even the serious ones, even Mike McCall. Mike McCall, I guess, is apparently going to be one of you know Kevin's Team Normal spokespeople because he's been out on the shows a lot lately. He was the one that said that uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene had been maturing. He's a congressman from Texas. He, he runs one of the foreign committees. His judgment sounds good. Yeah, he sounds great. So Mike was out there on CBS Face the Nation this weekend. I was watching this going, this is a sophisticated spy balloon that went across three nuclear sites. And the way that we tracked it showed how the ch- what the Chinese's strategy was in order to spy on us and get all of our information. And the Biden administration let this happen, their weakness. New reporting from the Washington Post yesterday showed that uh, actually the first balloon was designed to spy on U.S. assets in Guam, maybe Hawaii, but weather currents sent it way north to Alaska, and then it just started floating over the country. So, I mean, obviously their sources are in the military, TBD on what is true, but there is an Occam's razor element to that, which I appreciate, which is like, all these Republicans are trying to do the Red Scare thing, and like, oh, this thing is so sophisticated, and dementia Biden wasn't ready to respond to it, like, when in, like, the reality was that the Chinese, just like their vaccine scene like sent over a balloon that like didn't work and was supposed to go to guam and ended up flying over montana (laughs) (laughs) like we broke up all the signals and then shot it down and got all the information so i do appreciate that like the original balloon saga has kind of revealed this you know tendency of oh maybe back in the old days there'd be a little bit of a wait and see approach Like, let's get briefed, let's comment. You know, that is not the place where Republicans are right now. Anything that happens, Biden bad, Biden a pussy, Biden weak. And like we have to come out and speak out. And, you know, as more details have emerged, um, they've really been left to look pretty stupid. I am sort of interested in the fact that we we have a rough consensus, foreign policy-wise, on China, right? The, The two parties are basically trying to outbid each other on China hawkishness, which is great. I'm a China hawk. I think it's fabulous. But I don't know how that really jibes with the MAGA America first stuff because their anti-China stuff, like if the rubber ever meets the road on Taiwan, the America first stuff ain't going to fit. Like the neocons in the party who have been, you know, dragging the Republicans onto the side of the anti-China, they're going to want to do stuff to defend Taiwan that I think the MAGAites are absolutely not going to want to. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I think this is a a place in which it's a freebie for Republicans right now, but it might not always be. And I'm not convinced that the Republican Party will remain as China hawks if it means shipping weapon systems or breaking up a blockade or something. I 100% agree with this. If China invades Taiwan... You know who's going to be for doing something? Abigail Spanberger, Alyssa Slotkin, Nancy Pelosi. Pelosi. And the voters often talk about the uniparty in the focus groups, which is a thing I had not heard. Maybe now I've said it on here a few times, but it comes up a lot. It's something that's in the right wing media ecosystem. And what they mean is that Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham and Nancy Pelosi and whatever, the foreign policy apparatus on both sides of sort of elite parties is that they agree on a bunch of this stuff. And that's the stuff that the MAGA right wing, they think that's bad. That is the establishment. They're on the same side. They will sell America out to go help somebody else that doesn't matter to us. And if you try to explain to them freedom and democracy around the world and how that actually does work for American safety, that's lost. That is not a thing anymore. And that's why all those people held hands with like Glenn Greenwald and the Bernie bros, right? The Uniparty 
is a critique both of the far left and the far right. Um, they just come at it from different reasons, right? The far left comes at it from the Cy Hirsch, America is evil. And the far right comes at it from nativism. And yet they hold hands together. And this is where Elon is, right? So just play this out, right? Like, so here we are in Ukraine and Russia, right? And Elon is now doing this fucking thing with Starlink, right? Where he's only providing internet service up to a certain point, right? In Ukraine, because he doesn't want to f- be complicit in turning this into World War Three or whatever, which is preposterous. And it's like, imagine if, you know, Boeing was like, yes, you can use our weapon systems, but only if you don't cross the Donbass. Make you tanks, but we're going to limit those tanks and their ability to fire because, you know, we don't want to <laughs> kill anybody with them. We don't want blood on our hands. So, so Elon is part of the new right, like that new horseshoe coalition. And Elon doesn't say anything about China, by the way. Never, because he has business there. So if China does actually start menacing Taiwan, how does that new coalition hold together, right? If a Democrat is president, as we're seeing in Russia, it works, right? Because everyone can just be like Democrat bad. Like Tom Cotton can say, you know, Joe Biden's being too big of a pussy. And Marjorie Taylor Greene can say, oh, Joe Biden shouldn't be giving any weapons to Ukraine at all. We shouldn't give a single cent. And they're kind of in coalition because they're both like Joe Biden's bad, right? Great point. But what happens if Ron DeSantis is president? And China does menace Taiwan, right? And you're going to have the continents of the world that are going to want to actually act and follow up their language. And then you're going to have the MAGA part of the coalition, the Trump, your Elons, your Marjorie Taylor Greens, are going to be like, who cares about Taiwan, right? right? Like, why would we spend anything there? And they, they haven't worked that out internally at all. And, and like the, the Democrats being in charge are papering over that very big internal fissure, probably the biggest internal fissure within the party, really. Hey, Democrats have an internal fissure of their own, though. Die Fi, stepping down, but not immediately. I guess this is like the Democrats' Strom Thurmond moment. Um, she is totally out to lunch. Is that okay to say? She, she didn't know that she was resigning when they asked her. It was it's really very. Awkward. Sarah, do you have thoughts on this aside from the fact that it's sad? Because, like, look, in her prime, like, Die Fi was, especially in foreign affairs, like a very serious mind and an important part of the American foreign policy establishment. And, uh, just a, a razor sharp, aside from the fact that it's a reminder that we are all of us getting old and that age comes for all of us. So what are your thoughts here? These guys are hanging on too long. We have too many octogenarians in Congress and running for president. And when people don't quite know the right time to let go, the problem is, is that then people are ready to push you, right? They're ready to say, like, get out of here. And then they kind of robs you of the opportunity to just, like, you know, celebrate your legacy. Like if she'd gone out and was stepping down and saying it's time for a new generation, people would be like, let's spend a week talking about the legacy of Diane Feinstein and all yeah. the things she did. And instead, people are like, this senile person held on so long out of ego and it's just, just it's a bummer way to go out, but they do it themselves. And I this is where I get a little bit on Joe Biden is like 86 is old. And he'll be president. And, like, there's something arrogant about saying, like, no, no, no. Like, I'm sorry, guys. Like, it comes for us all. It just does. Usually somewhere between 80 and 90, if you're lucky. So Pass just, the torch, old man. You sound like Eric Swalwell. <laughs> that's not how I sound. I know. I know. I'm kidding. <laughs> I've got two DiFi thoughts. We're talking about Diane Feinstein. For, you know, those who aren't familiar with our little slang, Number one on DiFi is, like, her career has been unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It's, like, really hard to appreciate. I mean, she was on the board of supervisors with Harvey Milk. <laughs> with Harvey Isn't that Milk. amazing? Okay, that makes her seem really old, but it also is just, like, that feels like out of just another century. Harvey Literally. Milk died young. Harvey Milk no, did, uh, yeah, die young, but, I mean, you know, when I watched the Harvey Milk movie... <laughs> Doesn't feel contemporary. Well, Sean Penn was probably a little <laughs> older than Harvey Milk was when he was playing. Yeah, 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 Sean did a good job. Anyway, I'm just saying she was early with the gays. You got to give her yeah. love. She mayor of San Francisco, defended the gays, fighting AIDS way before her time on that front. So, you know, I always have a special place in my heart for Diane Feinstein as a neocon Democrat who was early with the gays. I mean, she's she mm-hmm. hit all my 
erogenous zones. <laughs> and if she wanted to run globalist too, <laughs> right? I would have been for, I would have voted for in that primary. I'm just letting you know, I would have voted for 97 year old Diane Feinstein <laughs> because that's my woman. As for her replacements, there actually isn't a fissure in the Democratic Party. And I think this is bad. Fissures, sometimes news people are always like, there's a fissure in the party. And that means things are bad. It's not, not really actually. Sometimes fissures are good. You know, there needs to be creative destruction and, and new ideas that come in place. And we got into fight with Favreau about this a little bit in L.A. during the live show. But, like, the people going to replace her, Katie Porter, Adam Schiff, maybe Barbara Lee, like, all agree on everything and are not really offering any kind of new vision for what a party could look like. And I don't know, in a state like California that is very dynamic and has a lot going for it but also has a lot of problems, as evidenced by my Brooke Jenkins interview a couple weeks ago, it'd be nice to have somebody in that race that was like, hey, guys, I think that Joe Biden's great. I think the Democrats are great. I think the MAGA people are bad. I don't think we should be racist. But, you know, maybe we should have a little bit of a reform mind on some of this stuff. Uh, you know, Ro Khanna, not exactly my brand of Democrat, but at least he's saying, hey, we should try a few new things. I, I would I would like to see that in this Senate race rather than watching like three people who agree on everything spend $800 million you know, to just determine who gets to, like, sit in an uncontested seat for 100 years. That's a little bit sad. Are they the same? I mean... Adam Schiff and Katie Porter, what do they disagree about? What do they think the Democrats should do differently? Maybe know. it's a question of emphasis. And to be fair, I guess I've paid negligible attention to this and its dynamics. But Well, it's very yeah, early. Just knowing what I know about both of them, I guess I would say he seems like a pretty typical normie-ish Democrat, right? But a little bit of a showboater, somebody who likes some attention. Whereas I think she's like a populist, right? Like he seems like a corporate Democrat. Sure. And she seems like somebody who wants to be like, I'm going to spend all my time attacking corporations, which I find interesting in California because people forget it's so liberal. It has more Republicans than anywhere else in the country. <laughs> and they're pretty populist and anti-corporate. And I've always been like, I wonder if Katie Porter doesn't have some weird wraparound appeal yeah. in a place like California that Schiff. And also, I mean, in a party that is trying to jump into the future and have different voices and different faces – Youngish, progressive, populist Katie Porter with her whiteboard seems like a, like slightly more the today's speed than the Adam Schiff. But I don't know. They do like their old white guy politicians. I guess that's true. I guess my point is if this primary is fought over like whether Adam Schiff is taking money from pharma corporate PACs <laughs> or not, and then, like I just, it feels a little bit small ball. I guess, sure, but I just like, th I think that is the fight. I think that's it. I agree with you. You're you're right though. That's that is astute. All right. Before we get out of here, because it's been a long show. The Good only show. The thing though. we are allowed to speak about in regards of the Super Bowl is the halftime act with Rihanna, who I guess was a tremendous disgrace to America and the worst, the worst halftime act ever or something. Right? Why was Trump upset? Is it just because she's black? I mean, Trump likes Trump a musical. Said, no, it's what Trump I said. I think that is, is it despite just... Trump being a masculine man, um, he very he's into musicals. If you listen to his playlists, mm. they're very operatic. There's a lot of things that overlap with gay bar playlists. Um, you know, I don't know that he realizes that or that it's intentional. And so I do think that, you know, maybe Trump's style is a little bit more like the Katy Perry. You know, you had the sharks. You had a lot of, like, different... Flamboyant elements. I think that the blackness also, there's maybe something to it. I think but, it was basically uh, about the blackness. Well, I don't want to get inside Trump's lizard head. I'll tell you this. I thought Rihanna was fantastic. Me too. She was a 10 out of 10 for me. We listened to Rihanna all week as a prep in our home. And I kind of forgot how many hits she had. You know, Beyonce, Gaga, I've always been like my divas. So I never, I never like put on a Rihanna album, you know? And so like occasionally a song would come on and I'd be like, Oh, wait, that's her, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, her catalog was so big that, like, SOS, she had a couple big ones that she didn't even get to in the little montage. Uh, and, you know, doing the pregnancy reveal, I thought was very cool. 
I'm just hoping she's Coachella next year so I can go back. I thought it was phenomenal. She will have just had a baby. She'll yeah. have just had a baby. But I mean, you know, she can get back out there. She did the Super Bowl pregnant. Why not do Coachella with a newborn? Maybe not. But I thought she was really great. I thought last year was great, too. They got two years in a row. Last year was Snoop and Eminem yeah, yeah, yeah. and Dre, right? Last year's was my second favorite all time behind the, the iconic Prince. It was so great. It was because it's for us, right? Like, we're exactly. old now, and we're listening to our old songs get piped back to us by these aging, you know, rappers and, like, whatever. I'll just say I watched a Super Bowl halftime show with my kids, and we were all dancing, and I was sort of trying to – because I've had a couple halftime shows where I've been like, ooh, children are watching this, you know, with, like, the twerking or the the outfits. But I thought the staging was really cool. I thought the way that she was, which was, like, not indifferent, but, like – at the center, supremely confident. Sometimes these rockers look nervous at the Super Bowl. You know, you can like feel the pressure of the big performance. And she looked like it was all hers and everyone was surrounding her. The dances were cool. The effect was cool. And she didn't have to do too much, but she was like doing just enough for it to feel fun to watch Rihanna at the center of it. But still, I don't know. I I loved it. I walked away from that being like, that was awesome. Like, that was so fun to watch. No guess. She didn't need a guest. I thought that's baller. To be like, I'm not bringing out any surprise. Just going to be pregnant me. I generally hate when they bring in guests. Like, the act should be the act. Like, you don't need anybody else. Yeah, give it to me. I will say, as part of my posting, I did one popular post on Twitter, which I know neither of you saw, which I'll share with you right now live. Like, the, the number of songs that she has that are just, like, ambient noise at gay clubs. <laughs> so, like, I, this was the Gen X. I was a little young. I mean, Snoop and Dre, and that was, yeah. like, middle school for me. But, like, so Rihanna's, like, that soundtrack is just, like, ambient noise. And I'm watching, and I'm starting to have, like, you know, little images flash through my head of, like, bad behavior gone past of the 2010s. And I did a tweet that I was like, I wonder if this is how what boomer hippies feel like when like dark side of the moon comes on, you know, when they talk about their acid flashbacks, I was having like gay club strobe light flashbacks, just listening to her. So I do think that added to my appreciation for it, the nostalgia effect, but she's amazing. Yeah. See, I'm the exact opposite, which is that I'm like 10 years too old, five years too old for Rihanna. And so while I was watching it, I thought to myself, if I was a Rihanna fan, this would be the greatest show ever because the staging is fantastic. And like she's giving clearly a great performance, but I'm hearing all of this probably not for the first time, but like, you know, again, it's just been background music here or there for me. And so I don't really know any of it. And so I was able to appreciate it, but without loving it. It's great. Well, I found love in a hopeless place is a song. I'm a little older than Tim, but I was also in the bars for Rihanna. And like, that is a song every night. Every you night. would not believe how often that song played. And also, it's a song I think about finding love in a club, because that is a hopeless place, right? Like, yeah. it just feels, uh, I don't know. Everything about it's great. I don't think I've ever been in a club. You've never been in a club. Alright, guys, good show. Long show. It was good to see you guys. Everybody, go to thebulwark.com. Sign up for Charlie's newsletter. Get all the great podcasts. And hit subscribe. Hit like. Hit all the buttons. Leave us five stars. See you next week. Bye. Bye.